Good morning, High Street. I'm so happy to be here with you all this morning. Uh, I bring you greetings from Huntington Beach. Uh, I've told a couple of people here, you know, if someone, if the Lord calls people everywhere, then someone has to be at Huntington Beach, I will gladly take that bullet for everybody here. So thank you for having me back. I love this church. I say this every time I'm here, but I, I really love, like, this is like my home church. You know, this is my, this is like my, one of my favorite groups of people in the entire world, and get, getting to talk with so many of you, it's, uh, it's truly a joy and a delight and a blessing uh, to see the impact that this church in Springfield, Missouri has had uh, in my life, and I know so many people all around the world, and so thank you so much for being the church that, that God has called us to be, and that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, but first, before we get into that, I just have a question for everybody. How many of you in this room have ever disappointed your dad? Uh, raise your hand. Okay, good, good. I'm not, I'm not by myself there. Um, I remember there was a time in um, middle school, like eighth grade, I went to Pleasant View Middle School, uh, go Blue Jays, and um, we, uh, we got to, we had like a band thing at the end of the year, like a band banquet, and uh, it was just like my dad and I that were, that were coming there, and, but for some reason, I kept like leaving my dad to go off and do stuff with my friends. And so my dad told me, he's like, listen, Rob, please stay with me. You know, please stay with me. Like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. I don't know where you're at. Like, just stay with me. And I'm like, totally, Dad. And I did not. I doubled down, and I kept leaving. And there was eventually, like, I left, and I uh, went for a long time, which is kind of walk in the halls of Pleasant View, um, and then ended up in the, band, the back of the band room, just, like, doing nothing with my buddies. And then after a while, you know, I hear some footsteps happen, and I hear the door open, and it's my dad, and he's like, hey, it's time to go. And I'm like, oh, boy. Have you ever had those moments where you're just like, you know you're about to get it? And, um, like, we started walking to the car, and I'm like, man, what is he going to say? Like, what's he going to do? Like, how in trouble am I? You know? And I remember he was not angry with me. He was, he was like, kind of, I was expect. I didn't know what was going to happen, but he wasn't angry with me. And he just said, these words, and if you've had these words said to you, it's like a dagger in your soul a little bit. He goes, Rob, I didn't know where you were. I don't know who you're with. Like, you, you, never, you were just in places you probably shouldn't have been. And I, even if you're doing good things, I don't know if your friends are going to do good things. And so you could have gotten in trouble just by proximity. And so it just wasn't wise. And so, Rob, I'm just disappointed. And I'm like, oh, don't, oh man, yell at me, berate me, like say anything, give me a spanking. I'm in eighth grade, but give me a spanking. Like, don't tell me though that you're disappointed in me. And if you're a parent in here, you probably know that feeling, right? You probably know the feeling of being responsible for your kids, trying to teach them how to live, trying to teach them how to interact, trying to teach them how to be normal, productive members of society, and then inevitably they go against what you told them to do, and then you're feeling the weight of responsibility when you're with them again because they did not do what you told them to do, and it ended up hurting them, it might have hurt people around them, and, and it hurt God. Today, I want to read to you the last chapter and a half of, of 2 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, and where we find the Apostle Paul as he's writing to this group of people, we find him the same feeling as a disappointed dad. He's looking at the church that he loves, the church that he started, the church as spiritual children, and he's looking at them, and he's seeing a lot of things that they're doing 
that are going directly against everything that he taught them, going against everything what it means to be a church of Jesus. And he looks at them and he's disappointed. And he tells them about the church that they currently are. He's like, I've seen some stuff. I'm hearing rumors. I'm hearing some chatter about what is currently going on. And I I see the church that you currently are. But I want to tell you about the church that Jesus wants you to be. And Paul, he's about to tell them something here that that was so necessary for this church in Corinth thousands of years ago. But can I tell you something that the words of the Apostle Paul are so important for us here in Springfield, Missouri in 2023 here at High Street Church. You know, if we miss what Paul said 2,000 years ago, we will never be the church that God wants us to be. But if we heed this warning, if we take these words seriously, we actually begin to open ourselves up to the blessing and the power of God that comes when you obey him and you do things the way he wants you to do them. So the question that we're gonna answer today is what kind of church should we be? What kind of church should we be? If you have your Bibles, open them to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. And as you're turning there, just give you some context about where we're, we're at. Paul, he, he started this church in Corinth. He uh, has been dealing with this church for a while because Corinth uh, was one of those cities that was kind of like, uh, you know, if he, was write, if, if he was writing today, he'd probably call it like the Church of Las Vegas, you know, with all the stuff going on there, you know, the Church of California. Um, you know, it was just kind of like a place that, not really, you wouldn't want your kids going there, you know what I'm saying? Like, and the Apostle Paul, like the, the, it was so bad, like Corinth was so bad that they actually came up with this new Greek term that actually meant to live immorally like a Corinthian. And that kind of lifestyle infiltrated this church in Corinth into where uh, there was, there were, it, it, the church resembled something that wasn't anything like Jesus. Uh, the church displayed a lot of these attributes, like that it was, they had divided loyalties. They would say, oh, I like this person better, or I like this person better. They, this church, there was gross immorality in this church. They, and this church, what they loved to do, um, they loved to belittle the Apostle Paul, the one who started this whole thing. They would say, Paul, you're so weak when you come here. You write these big letters, but then when you come here, you're just so weak. You don't really, you don't have a lot of spiritual power. Uh, they, they say, Paul, you're not even a very good speaker, by the way. Um, you've been beaten so many times. Like, you probably don't have a jaw that works very well. Uh, you're just not very, you're not, you know. It, by, by the way, why are you getting beaten all the time? Like, you're, always, you're saying you're shipwrecked. You're, you're all the, you're, you know, you're beaten, you're starved. Why are you, you're always in prison? Maybe there's a sign that you're not really of God. And so they're questioning Paul's credentials all the time. But with Paul, what he's, what he's doing here. As he did throughout this letter, Paul, well, he's, he's about to be very clear with his intentions with this church. And what he's going to do is he's going to continue to clarify his whole goal in writing to them and coming to them. He's about to come to them for the third time. The last visit, what he called the painful visit, was not very good. And Paul, he's just established again. He's like, listen, listen, let's cut the noise. I'm going to tell you the reason why I'm gonna come here. I'm gonna tell the reason why you need to change the way you've been doing church because it doesn't honor God. 
And so this is what we find Paul saying in the letter of the Corinthian church. This is the first thing that Paul wants this Corinthian church to know. And it says this in 12, chapter 12 and 14. He says this, here for the third time, I am ready to come to you. And I will not be a burden. For I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save for their parents, but parents for their children. And I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, or I got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you and of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go, and I sent the brother to go with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did, you, did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been trying to defend ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. Why? And all for your upbuilding, beloved. The first point, first thing that Paul wants the Corinthian church to know is that Paul was willing to sacrifice himself for their spiritual good. He's willing to sacrifice himself for the spiritual good. You know, the church is claiming, oh, you're just trying to get money out of us. You know, that's the whole reason you're here. You're trying to exploit us in some way. And Paul, he, he's, he clarified yet again. He's like, listen, I'm not coming here to exploit you. I'm not coming here to get anything from you. I'm not trying to enrich myself. Paul's whole desire in writing these letters to his church that he loves, the church that he started, his spiritual family, what he is trying to do is he wants them to know God. And he wants them to live and act the way God would want them to live and to act. His whole goal here that he says, I want you to grow. I, I'm here for your upbuilding. And Paul says, if it, if it means sacrificing everything that I have for your growth, then so be it. If it means sacrificing myself even for you, then I'll do it. Because Paul was willing to sacrifice everything for the growth, for the spiritual good of this church. Because parents sacrifice for their kids, not kids for their parents. And I'm sure we've all seen those stories of these like child stars who uh, made a ton of money, millions of dollars as they, were, as they were a little kid. And then as they get older, they kind of emancipate themselves from their parents and they legally separate themselves from the parents because it turns out the parents were so greedy and they're trying to take from their children. And all of us who see this stuff and we read about this stuff, like it, doesn't it kind of like violate something within you? Doesn't it like, it just, it, when you see a parent take advantage of a child, that's just not right. Like, we're just like, no, that, that we kind of collectively have this idea that this is not good because parents should sacrifice for their kids, not the other way around. You know, my friend Charles, he came up with a good definition of parenting uh, a while ago. He said, uh, parenting is cleaning up messes that you did not make. And I have a three-year-old and a five-month-old, and nothing has ever made more sense to me in my life uh, than that definition. But Paul... He's, he's like, honestly, I, guys, I'm not trying to defend myself to you because you're not the judge of me. You're not the judge of what I'm doing right now. He says, I, I, listen, I'm, I'm okay if you don't totally get my intentions, 
because really the person who I'm trying to impress, the person I'm trying to serve, the person who I'm willing to sacrifice everything for, he loves you, he has a plan for you, and if that means me disappointing you or me thinking, if you think that I'm not all that, that's fine, but he's the one who I'm looking to serve, and I have to represent him well. I have to represent him truly. And Paul tells them again, he's like, listen, I'm gonna prove it to you. I'm not gonna take any money from you. I'm not gonna take any money from you because Paul, he wanted them to know that he doesn't want anything from them. He just wants them. Paul doesn't have any gain in this relationship except for them. That's what Paul gets. And he's trying to communicate that, that he doesn't have any ulterior motive And Paul said, I'm coming back for the third time. And I just want to let you know, it's all for you. It's all for your spiritual growth. It's all for your upbuilding. And if that means sacrificing everything, I'm going to do it. Because he loves them. And Paul, he goes on to specify, like, what are the ways that he he wants them to grow? What are the ways that God would want them to grow? So let's continue reading in uh, chapter 12, verse 20. He says this, for I fear that perhaps that when I come, I may not find, or you may not find, or I may not find you as I wish, and that you may not find me as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit. Paul says that if you're a church, and this list that he just listed out is how you act, then you are not a church that has let the Holy Spirit of God come and transform you and move among you and have its way. Because these things that Paul lists, they're opposite of what the spirit of God produces in your life. This is in verse 21, he says, I fear that when I come again, that my God may humble me before you and I might have to mourn over many of those who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, the sexual immorality and the sensuality that they practiced. You know what's amazing about Paul here? Is that Paul, he's, he's the spiritual father to this group. You know, he's, he's hearing rumors that there's more stuff going on than even he knows. And stuff that's gonna hurt them, hurt other people, violate God's standard. And he's like a parent, uh, you know, who is on, he's out of town, but then hears that there's a house party, an unsanctioned house party going on in his house. And he's like, listen, if I, if I have to come back, if I'm hearing the rumors that are true, then it's not gonna be good. It's not gonna be good. And listen, Paul, he's saying, he's like, I'm not happy about what is about to happen, but I'm willing to do it. Because Paul, he's a good spiritual father. And a father, they will show their children the error of their ways because they love them. And he's not gonna rub their nose in it, but it's all for the growth and development. Do you hear the, like, the words that Paul is saying? He's like, I might have to humble myself from God and I'm gonna mourn. Paul is not standing with this like, apostolic authority saying, you guys stink, you're the worst, and I'm gonna wash my hands of you. Paul is so in it with them like a good father who is so all for their good that he will join in the responsibility of them. And if that means taking, having to take some of the mourning, some of the weeping, if that means being a part, taking some of the responsibility, he's gonna do it. Because that's what a good father does. He's there for their growth and development. Verse 13, he says, this is the third time I'm coming to you. 
Then Paul gets really practical about how he's going to deal with the error of their ways. And what I love about this is it shows that Paul, he's not like some of these other people in power in the world who is going to do some backroom dealings. He's not going to let people with a lot of influence in the church just kind of like skate by and swipe their sin under the rug. He's not going to have like, he's not going to play favorites. What the Apostle Paul is going to do is he's going he's to make sure that there's no partiality that the Lord gets honored in all ways. And so he, he gets really practical. And he says this, he goes, every charge, like every sin, everything that's, that's wrong, that's not good, must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before uh, and all others, and I warned them now while absent, as I did in present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. Because they kept saying, like, oh, Paul's not really like, full of the Spirit. Paul's not really messenger of God. Look at all the things that are happening in his life. And so Paul is just kind of like, all right, if you seek proof among me, um, God is not weak in dealing with you. But then he calls on the formula and like, the rubric of how Jesus dealt with things. And it says in verse four, for he was crucified in weakness, but he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we live with him by the power of God. You know, we serve a God who became weak. Like God in heaven, who is all power, all authority, all holiness, all righteousness, that God became weak. And the reason he became weak was so that God's power could shine through him. And Jesus, he became weak to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why did he do that? So God's power could shine through him, through the resurrection. And we, when we identify with Jesus as weak, God, that's the time when God would shine his power through us. You see, the thing is, Jesus, he came low for the power of God to work through him. And if we wanna be the church that God has called us to be, we don't need to do what the rest of the world does that when, when uh, you know, books are trying to be balanced and rights are trying to be wronged and we're trying to establish what's going on, what the rest of the world does, they'll puff out their chest and they'll say, no, I'm not wrong here, and they double down and they try to, they try to exert and save any sort of authority or influence or power that they have, and they say, no, no, no I'm good, you're wrong, I'm good. But what we need to do as a people of God is identify with our Savior, our, the author and perfecter of our faith, who went weak, who became weak, so that the power of God could shone through him. So what we need to do is when we have sin in our lives, when there's stuff going on, we need to not puff up our chest, we need to get low and we need to say, we need to be humble enough to be like, you're right, I'm sorry. God, I don't know what to do here. I've messed up, I can't manage this whole thing, but God, can you help me? God, I'm, I'm so weak, I can't even do, can you, can you just take everything from me? God, would you, would, you, would you help me? Listen, those are the opportunities where God is so excited because God always wants to say yes when you come at him 
in humility. When you say, God, would you help me? God's like, yes, I've been dying to help you. God, God would, you, would, you, would you save me? I've been waiting for you. God, would you forgive me? I've been hoping that you would ask for forgiveness for a long time. It's that, that's the formula. If you want to see the power of God work through you, you have to first become weak in order for God to work through you because he will move in your weakness. So what does Paul want the church in Corinth to do? He wants them to deal with their sin. He wants to deal with their sin. And how do you do it? You have to humble yourself to the point where you're like, I'm, God, I'm, I need you. God, I've offended them. They've offended me. I don't know how to work this. The only way for it to work in the church is if we are weak towards God and we are weak towards each other. That's the only way. If one person is so puffed up that they can't even come to the point where they are like, I see what you're saying. No, you're right. Yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying. I, I forgive you. If we can't do that as a church, then we will never experience what God would want us to experience by watching his power shine through us. And the reason this, Paul wants the Corinthian church to deal with their sin because sin is a big deal. Romans says, you know, for the wage of sin is death. Sin will always lead to death in your life. You know, you may think you can skate by like managing sin, but if you are trying to manage sin, sin is really managing you. And God, he doesn't want you to be fractured by sin. He wants you to live whole and holy lives. And as the church, we need to be a people who deals with sin. We can't let sin go. Not because we're better than anyone else. Not because we love to police people. No. Because sin is such a big deal. You know, you know why sin is such a big deal? You just, just look at the response that God took to deal with sin in our lives. Sin was such a big deal to God that the only way that he could deal with sin was to send Jesus to live as a man and die for us, to, take, to live the life that we should have lived and to die the death that we deserved. That is the way that God had to deal with sin. If there was any other way, he would have done it. So if God in heaven deals with sin like this, who thinks sin is such a big deal, then we need to think of sin as such a big deal. Let's not, let's not flirt with sin. Let's not think that we can, we can get in there and then eject when we need to eject. I think one of the chief sins that we have right now is that we don't think that sin is such a big deal. Like we have to be a people who make sure that we don't flirt with sin. That we, that we don't come around sin. Like sin must be dealt with. It's a big deal. It cost the life of the, of the son of God. If God himself sees sin as a big problem, then we must see sin as a big problem. And Paul is so serious of calling out the sin in this church that he actually goes on to say something like pretty like serious about this church. He says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse five. He says, if someone said this to you, you might be offended. But this is what Paul says to this group of people. He says this, examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. <laughs> do you hear what he's saying? Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? 
unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you know and find that I have not failed to meet the test. <laughs> Paul says, listen, the way you're acting, the, the list that I, that I mentioned before, it does not sound like somebody who has been transformed by Jesus. And so the third thing that Paul wants this Corinthian church to do is to make sure that they're saved. To make sure that they're saved. You know, you will never be able to deal with sin and produce the fruit of the Spirit if you do not have a new heart that the Holy Spirit gives you. You will never be able to experience the power of God that comes when you become weak and humbly recognize your need for, for help. And so Paul, what he's doing, he's just getting really practical. He's like, listen, based on some of the things that I'm hearing, it does not sound like someone who is a really, truly saved Christian. And so what you need to do is you need to examine yourself. You need to make sure. You need to, you need to, you need to make sure, prove it, that someone else is in control of your life and not just you. You know, one of the dumb things that I, I did in middle school and high school, like, you know how your friends just kind of do like dumb things and dumb sayings? Uh, I was not immune. We had a lot of them. And um, one of the dumb jokes that uh, my buddies and I would say in middle school and high school was anytime anyone would, would say anything, this is so embarrassing, I don't know why I'm telling you this, um, anyone said, they, we, would just, they would be, we would just yell this phrase to them if they made any sort of statement. We would yell, prove it, prove it. Again, it's dumb. So if someone, someone would say things like, you know, I love football, NFL's back. Prove it, prove it, watch every game. Or like, oh, man, I love this pizza. Prove it, eat the entire pizza right now. Do it, prove it. Prove how much you love it. Um, or people would be like, yeah, I'm so tired. Prove it, go to sleep right now, do it. It's very dumb. Like, I, it's, it's not even a thing. But I loved it. That's like comedy for me in middle school. Um, listen, if you are part of the family of faith, if Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, then your life should prove it. Your life should prove it. And one of the ways that you can kind of figure out, like, if you are proving it, it's just, like, take inventory of the last, like, six months of your life. Like, when hardships come, when people uh, offend you and hurt you and what bubbles up to the surface in your life? Paul lists out some of the characteristics that this church is producing. He says, listen, and listen, if this is anything that kind of resembles your life, then I think you just need to take inventory of what's going on. Paul, Paul talks about quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, disorder, impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality. Do you guys know this is not the list of the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit, what it produces in your life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And what we need to always be a people that we're doing is we need to always be evaluating, God, what kind of fruit am I producing in my life? Over the last six months, would, would you or some people really close to you say that you and your actions identify more with the first list or the second list? Which one do you most resemble? Paul, he's saying, examine yourself. Take inventory. Look at your statements. See if you really are in the faith. 
Because if you really are, then your life would prove it. Your life would prove it. And finally, as we finish up this letter, the last thing that Paul says that he wants this church to do is to be restored and act like Christians. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse seven. He says, but we pray to God that you may do no wrong, not that we appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we have seen that we have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak, and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason, I write these things while I'm away from you, so that when I come, I might not have to be severe in the use of my authority that the Lord has given me for the building up and not the tearing down. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Don't worry, we'll clarify that before we leave. I don't want any rogue kissers out here this morning. All the saints greet you. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. You know, Paul, he wants the people here in the Corinthian church to obey the Lord. What's amazing about Paul, he's not trying to flex his apostolic authority to them. What he's so hoping is that this letter that he is writing to them that's gonna go ahead of him, it, he's hoping and praying that this would be a catalyst for change and growth and spiritual development in there so that when he, the third time when he comes to them, he's not gonna have to become it as a prophetic crack and whips pastor, but an encouraging pastor who's coming alongside of them and saying, you're doing great, let's continue to grow, let's continue to move towards Jesus. And Paul, he, he says, I want you to aim for restoration. I know that you have offended this person and they've offended you, but if we are to identify with Jesus, we have to be humble ourselves to the point of weakness. And when we are weak to each other, that's when the power of God can work through us. He says, you, need to, you want to comfort one another. If you want to be my church, if you want to represent Jesus, then you have to be people who comfort one another. Early on in 2 Corinthians, it says that we are to comfort one another with the comfort that God gives us. So God the comfort that he gives you does not end with you. The comfort that he gives you is to comfort one another. That's what the church is all about. He says you need to agree with one another. This isn't just like agreeing with every single little opinion of everybody always. This is not uniformity. This is unity. This is, we're not going to be divisive. We're not, gonna be, we're not always going to try to be doing our own thing. We want to agree with one another. We want to live in peace and you know, if peace is one of the fruit of the Spirit, the peace is a gift that God only gives, then we have to be living by the Spirit to produce this peace. And when we live by peace, isn't that so much better? Don't you love the peacemakers in your life? The peacemakers in your family? Wouldn't you want to be somebody who other people would want you to be around? And if we are a church that is full of people who display this gift of peace with other people, that is something worth noticing. That is a community that people would want to be a part of. Now, I know I have to clarify, and we, we gotta, we're probably worried about uh, 
somebody who might come in here and try to kiss somebody enthusiastically and just say, well, I'm just trying to follow scripture. So, um, you know, what Paul is trying to do in here with explaining this holy kiss situation, uh, to kiss somebody in the New Testament time in this, in this place was, was a sign of respect and greetings, love and reverence and uh, rec- reconciliation, family fellowship, these are all things that kind of uh, encapsulated this social practice. But what Paul did is he took this very normal social practice of like love and unity, and he like said, I'm gonna make this holy thing. And so what he did as the church, he kind of, it became less of like a social practice, and it became more of like it kind of using that base and doing something that like provided a lot of goodness and unity to the church. And a holy kiss was more than just a social custom. It was a sign of mutual fellowship amongst all types of people who have joined the family of Christ. And for us now, that's weird if we do this because we're not a society that kisses. You know, I see celebrities kiss each other, you know, like the, you know, the, the kiss on each cheek. I don't know if you have to go to a class you know, to become famous to like, okay, this is how you like greet people now. But like that's just not what we do. Um, but here's, here's the interesting thing. What Paul is trying to communicate here is not necessarily to straight up kiss somebody. What he is trying to communicate is you now have to figure out a way to express mutual love for God and each other to each other in a tangible way. That's what he's saying here. So how do you do it? So we return to the question that we started with. What kind of church should we be what kind of church should we be? We, we read about how Paul told the Corinthian church, but what about us at High Street Church today in 2023? I have four short things, then we're gonna close. To be the church that God wants us to be, we must pour ourselves out for the people that we're entrusted to lead. All of the pastors, the staff, the deacons, the volunteers, the small group leaders, the Sunday school teachers, anybody on the team who is, has any sort of uh, spiritual oversight over anybody else, the thing that we must do is pour ourselves out for their good, for their betterment, for their growth. Because spiritual parents sacrifice for their kids and not the other way around. And it should cost you to pour into people, because people are costly. Do you know this? My two little girls have cost me so much money, and I'm happy to pay for it. Why? Because I love them, and my, I so want to see their growth and development. I wanna see them love the Lord, be productive members of society. I, I, I will gladly pour myself out for their betterment. And as spiritual leaders, Anyone who has any sort of leadership in this church, what you need to be about, you need to not be trying to get stuff from people. You don't lord authority over people. You pour yourself out for the people. That's what we need to be about. And you read about so many problems with, with churches and leaders who have kind of blown up morally and, and have like created environments that are so bad. It's because their leaders have not done this. What we need to always be about is to be leaders who are for the betterment of the people that they lead. We pour ourselves out, not for our betterment, but for their betterment. We gotta pour ourselves out for the people that we're trusted to lead. Number two, to be the church that God wants us to be, we must deal with sin. We must deal with sin. We have to be a community that holds the line on sin because we serve a God who holds the line on sin. 
God is so perfect and righteous and holy that he cannot let any unrighteousness or sin get into his presence. And so if that is the case, if that's the God that we serve and we want that God to be here, then we have to hold the line with sin. We cannot let sin be a part of what we do because when we sin, it breaks the heart of God. It will hurt you and it will hurt other people around you. Sin, it fractures and it, and it, and it gets into everything. And we need to be a people that just says, no, we gotta deal with this. We can't let this slide. We, we gotta make sure that we are pursuing holiness rather than, than sin. Number three, to be, the, to be the church that God wants us to be, we, just, we have to confirm that we're saved. We, we gotta confirm that we're saved. We can't think that we're saved. We can't be like, oh, I think I'm more saved than I'm not saved, I don't know. We have to know. We, as the church, we need to always do inventory in our lives. It's just like, God, am I producing good stuff? God, I, I, I need to be, I, I wanna be seeing your power working through. I wanna see your fruit work through. I don't wanna be identified by that first list. I wanna be identified by you and what the Holy Spirit can do in my life. We gotta prove it. We know that salvation is a gift of grace through faith. And if we have accepted this free gift of God through faith, then we have to make sure that our lives, it shows. So we we gotta make sure that we, we prove it. And some of you in here, maybe you've been coming for a long time and you've been around church for a long time, you, you, you've been around Jesus, but you've just like, for some, whatever reason, your personality or whatever, you just have never wanted to like make a decision. You never wanted to tell other people or you're just like not sure you got some reservations. Can I just encourage you like, make sure. Do you know that you're saved? An important thing that the possible one of the church to know is that are you really saved? We need to be people in here who are just sure of that God is in them. And then lastly, to be the church that God wants us to be, we must always pursue reconciliation and act like Christians. Because reality is you're gonna sin. You're gonna mess up. You're going to offend this person. This person's going to offend you. We're gonna do something that we don't like. We're gonna have stuff that we disagree with. And to be the church of God we need to be people who can become weak. Be like, I know I offended you. I know I did some stuff that you don't like. I hurt you. But if it was up to me and if it was what I wanted to do, I would just keep holding grudges. But I'm gonna, I just, I, I forgive you. Not because you're worth it or I'm good, but because we serve a God who became weak. And if you wanna see the power of God work through you, then you have to become weak. You have to identify with his weakness to experience his power. We don't make declarative statements about each other. We don't write people off. We always seek reconciliation. And we act like Jesus. So High Street. May we be a church that does things the way Jesus wants us to do things. You know, it's his church. It's his institution. He created it. He like died for it. He rose again for it. Um, And if it's his, then it doesn't matter what we think about it. It only matters what he thinks. And so if that's the case, 
then we need to get on board with how Jesus wants us to operate. So may we be a people who do things the way Jesus wants us to do them. May we become weak with him so that we can experience his power. And what if we did this as a church? Well, it's amazing. I know so many people in here. And I've seen, I've seen, I've seen many years of people who become weak towards each other, who drop their preferences, who have dropped, who dropped their offenses for the betterment of the church. And what's amazing is that every generation, every, new, every person who comes in here, we have another opportunity to do what this church has done so well for so many years. And I pray that we would be a church that continues this legacy for the next 100 years of ministry. Would you pray with me?